Hello everyone and welcome to season three of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. This is episode number 37. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today. Wherever you are in the world right now listening, I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, as this is the last episode of the Sydney 2000 Celebration Week, we could not finish in a bigger way, in my opinion, than with Australia's greatest swimming race of all time, the men's 4x100-metre freestyle relay with Michael Klim, Chris Feidler, Ash Callis and Ian Thorpe. Now, I don't want to talk too much before I press play on this interview because I know why you're all here. You're all here to hear the boys, not me, so let's do it. Let's listen to four men talk about their memories of the biggest sporting event in our country's history and their part in a race that continues to inspire athletes to this very day, 20 years on. So whatever you're doing right now, stop it, settle in, and get ready to hear from four of the greatest of all time because episode 37 with the men's 4x100m freestyle gold medal winning relay from the 2000 Sydney Olympics starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Vandenhoek and Penn. But the symmetry of all eyes is the great Phantom Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats. Vets in the black hats. And Vets has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to the front. Thorpe to the hall. Thorpe goes in. Australia win. Today on the podcast, we have an absolute treat as I'm joined by four men that 20 years ago to this day inspired a country and generations of Aussie swimmers to come when they broke a 36-year-old stranglehold that Team USA had on the men's 4 by 100 metre freestyle relay. They won gold in spectacular fashion in the 2000 Sydney Olympics on night one of competition. It's my honour, it's my privilege to welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast in relay order, I might add, Michael Clem, Chris Feidler, Ash Callis and Ian Thorpe. Boys, how are we going? Howdy. Very well, well. thanks. Thanks for having us. Not a trouble at all, mate. This is a big moment for me on the podcast, that's for sure. When I first started, I wrote down five... Uh, interviews that were just goals of mine that I never thought would happen. And this was one, especially getting four of you together at the same time. So a big moment for me. Now, listen, I want to get stuck into it. Uh, Much the same as myself. There's a lot of people given the 20 year anniversary have been looking back and looking upon different uh, moments. I think I watched pieces of the opening ceremony from yesterday. Chris, firstly, I'll start with you. Have you been reliving any memories of the Sydney Olympic games this week? Maybe not swimming wise, but just any of them. No, uh, absolutely. It's been uh, actually over the last couple of weeks. It's uh, it's come around really, really quickly this uh, this year. And and um, just having a look at some of the footage and, and some of the uh, articles that are in the paper and and remembering uh, what it was like in Sydney. Even this morning, I was looking at some stuff uh, in the papers, and it was just such a great time. And it wasn't just the swimming; it was the 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 whole games themselves. It was just incredibly exciting. So absolutely been living it i can't believe it's 20 years 
Um, I don't feel as though I'm 20 years older, but um, probably look a little bit older. There's a few more grey hairs these days, mate. So now you're um, not sitting in the dark fives. You actually do. You have aged, mate. Now you're not sitting. Yeah. I think it's no, he actually aged the best out of all of us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also like that he's got the bike um, in the back. <laughs> yeah. Actually exercises yeah. still. Yeah, exactly. I need to filter that, don't I? How do I do that? Look at that. No. <laughs> now, Ian, I saw a week ago, mate, all you boys got together. I know Ash was stuck up in Queensland still, but he did join in with the launch of the, the Marvel Avengers game, which is out now for all of you gamers out there who want to get amongst it. Firstly, how nice was it to catch up, um, especially going through COVID and all the you know people not being able to see each other? It must have been great to reconnect. And secondly... Honestly, who was best and worst on ground in the gaming department? <laughs> um, so, look, it was, it was great for us to be able to catch up. Of course, it would have been better if Ash could have joined us for us. Uh, so that could have been all four of us. Um, because it, it's, it's, it's rare that, there's, um, that we actually we do catch up. Um, it's usually two of us. So to go to three, you know, happens quite rarely. Um, and all four, um, I think next time when we, we do see each other, um, when it's post kind of COVID lockdowns and everything else, um, we should be able to go out and enjoy this moment and make sure that we do it. Um, when it comes to playing the game, um, I think I may have been the worst, um, but I learned quite quickly. Um, I think Ash, for some reason, happened to be the best at it. It was probably because he wasn't distracted or intimidated by anyone else. He was in his own space, downloaded the game as soon as he could. He'd practiced, he'd done it all. Um, and, you know, like how he swims, he's a little bit angry. So Goodness he can spoke, take it out. Word, Thorby. <laughs> <laughs> I was just too busy heckling everybody. But it was no, no. <laughs> You've got to work for your strengths, Mike, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did right. wonder how much of that, because it was very good editing and cutting in and out. So I was wondering how much of it was, you know, uh, how much of you guys were going good. So Ash, obviously you did a bit of practice before you started, did you? Yeah. Um, truth be known, yeah, there was a few logistical little hiccups, but uh, uh, by halfway through the game, I got the hang of it. Yeah, so I uh, let him know who was boss. Yeah. All right, boys, let's get stuck into why we're here today, which is to talk about the 2000 Sydney Olympics. And I guess before we sort of look at the success we had in Sydney, I think you need to go back a few years to even maybe 1998 in Perth at World Champs and the phenomenal success the Aussie team had there. Michael, I'll throw this one out to you. Do you think that meet and, the, and had a big effect in the momentum driving towards Sydney? I know we had a good 1999 as well as a team. I just remember the World Champs there with yourself, Susie, the boys relay team doing well, Grant. Obviously, the famous commentary that sort of reminds me, um, Ian, of yourself, which is world champion at 15, you know, just those sort of memories. Do you think that had a bit to do with the success that we'd go on to have two years later? It was an amazing uh, transformation, really, even from 96, where we did obviously have a couple of gold medalists in KP and Susie. But I think as a team and the depth and, and the sport, obviously, and then these couple of big fellas and Thorpe and Hacky coming along and adding great value to the team. But um, I think we did transform in our relays even more so. And even beating the Americans in the medley relay on the last event and fires anchoring over the top of Gary Hall, that was probably just as sweet as uh, the 4x1 the, um, the freestyle in Sydney. But we did have a very conscious sort of focus on the, on the Sydney games with relays and that started sort of showing up pretty early even in 97 and uh, 98. So 
Um, yeah, I think there was definitely, uh, it put us in good stead and having so many great meets on home soil, obviously Perth was really important and having the Pampacks in Sydney and obviously the, the Olympics the following year, you know, we were pretty spoiled to have major meets in, in our backyard. So I think that really had a, had something to do with it. And I think everyone was just so focused on this opportunity of having the Olympic Games in Sydney. And um, yeah, I think it was everyone want to be part of it. You know, staff, swimmers, family and friends. So I think we, um, we knew what was, was in front of us. And um, I think, you know, Perth was probably the first opportunity that people got to, to race in front of the home crowd. Now, before we get to the pool and the, and the relay, I'm interested from an athlete's perspective what the Olympics Games was like, because obviously as a 14-year-old kid myself, I was buzzing. I had videotapes ready to go to record everything. Every sort of news was out there. We were watching. You guys were, were in it. You were amongst it. What was it like with the lead-up, the media, the hype? Did you feel that? Did you guys all feel that? Or did you kind of try and put blinkers on, focus on the job at hand? Ash. <laughs> oh, don't talk to me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, look, uh, I made the 98 Com Games team, so I had a bit of a taste of what an, uh, a village type set up and um, being, being a part of that, and I had a bit of a taste of that. But nothing can really prepare you for the Olympics unless you've been one before. And as Michael said, there was a massive build-up uh, leading into Sydney and every athlete. Uh, wants to be a part of their own home Olympics. And it was a fantastic opportunity for everyone. Obviously, there's only a select few that, um, that can get there. But um, for me, um, I really didn't know what to expect until, you know, you walk. We were, we're sorry, taking a step back. We're in Melbourne for our pre-camp. And it, things start to get a little bit real there where everyone's together. Um, Don Talbot, the head coach at the time, was making us walk to and from the pool to get used to walking around the village and I never really considered that was even really a thing uh, until you actually get there. Um, obviously being young rookie and relatively inexperienced, there wasn't a lot of media surrounding me. And so I was quite oblivious to all of it. I just had to go about my job. Mm. I was only there for one race because uh, I finished third in both the 50 freestyle and the 100 freestyle um, to Michael and um, to Fides. So all I had to do was do two swims, one race, so to speak. And um, I really didn't know what was going on until we get into the village and then you get your uniform on day one as you, as you start to walk in and then the goosebumps start to, uh, for me, start to get, a, start to become evident and a little bit nervous. And you had to contain myself uh, walking around in there because there's so many distractions and other athletes and guys that I've been watching on TV, uh, tennis players and things like that. And all of a sudden you're rubbing shoulders with these guys every day um so i had a roommate called cameron delaney and i guess we just really had no idea what was really happening but we were pretty lucky and fortunate that the team at the time the swim team at the time um had a lot of experience it was a bit of a, an experience with uh, sorry a bit of a mix with experience in youth and mm. all the guys were pretty good in just containing things we had great staff and just enabled you to focus on what you had to do so same question to, to you boys. How was, you know, your Olympic sort of experience away from the pool in all the lead up to it? Obviously, uh, each of you would have had your own experiences and dealt with things in a different way. I'll, I'll, I'll jump um, if you... If, so, so for me, it was, um, it was different. Uh, that, was, that was the third uh, Olympic um, 
that I'd kind of been part of. And, and whilst there'd been a little bit of interest in Barcelona and, and uh, Atlanta, the, the interest surrounding the swimming team was um, massive in comparison. And, you know, we had great athletes like Mike and, and, and Ian and, and, and Hacky and Kieran who had, and Susie who had great profiles in that team. Where in Barcelona, um, really there wasn't anyone of, uh, of note um, with even half of that or quarter of the, the profile. So there wasn't, wasn't much. And just the home interest was also different. Um, and I think Ash has touched on a pretty good point, but I think the team handled it pretty well because we had a, a lot of experience uh, that was sitting with a lot of youth uh, and energy as well. And I remember a story actually while Ash was talking about that, that the first Olympic um, village I went into was Barcelona and it was the first one for Kieran and, and Susie and Sam Riley and Matt Dunn and Ellie Overton, Phil Rogers, you know, there was a lot of guys that hung around for a long time uh, and that was our first Olympics and walking around the village, I'm sure you've heard the stories, there's lots of free stuff and stuff to do, you know, the McDonald's is free, the, you know, there's a movie theatre at the time, you know, video games were kind of new and, uh, and there was an arcade there. And, yes, I, you can laugh, Ian, but that's true. Um, and uh, I remember clearly there was a 10-pin bowling alley and so there was a number of us that were walking around thinking, oh, this is pretty cool, let's, let's throw some balls down, um, which all of a sudden got super competitive. We must have done, uh, I don't know, spent an hour and a half just throwing balls down. This is like day one of walking around the Olympic Village. And the coaches have said, just take it easy, take it easy. Anyway, for the next probably week as we're in the village, the physios were flat out on hip flexors, glutes, just with all the lunges people were doing, throwing balls around. All they were doing was repairing bowling injuries for the first week. So I think, uh, I think with that experience that we can kind of share with those guys coming into that for their first Olympic village was uh, probably a bit of a hand. Chris, I'll stay with you on this one. Obviously, you guys you know, the four by one, you'd had success with major meets in the lead up, which we touched on. Obviously you won gold and uh, the Pan Packs, I think second in, in Perth in 98. How competitive was it to be a part of that relay team? Obviously I'm talking to you four guys today, but there's two legends that, you know, no doubt need to be a part of this conversation as well, which are Adam Pine and Todd Pearson who just missed out on, on being a part of the team. You know, how, how competitive was it to be a part of this team? No, it was super competitive. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we knew coming off the back of um, the Pampax that, you know, we were a real chance of Olympic medal um, in, in this event, which was the first time a four by one uh, for Australia had really been, uh, been a chance. And, and um, so everyone wanted to be part of it. And, and Michael touched on it before. There was a real campaign of improving relays that Don Talbot brought to us in the he joined in 89 and, uh, and that just built throughout the decade and, and every relay for Australia at those Olympics was competitive, uh, men and women. So uh, the depth in that 100 freestyle, to give you context, um, in 1990, you know, uh, Andrew Balden was the first Australian to break 50 seconds. Um, and, you know, at, at our national championships, uh, no one would have broken 50 seconds. Uh, and in fact, uh, even at the Olympic trials in 92, um, I'm not sure that anyone actually broke uh, 50 seconds. And then by the time we got to uh, Sydney in 2000, uh, to make the 100 uh, final, you had to break 50 seconds. Uh, and Mike and I actually went through 49 at those trials uh, as well. So, you know, there was a significant change and a lot of depth in that 100 freestyle. And I think part of the reason we did so well uh, in Sydney is because 
everyone knew that there was a whole heap of guys knocking on the door wanting to get in and it was just a tenth of a second basically to qualify your position and that mm. that competitiveness ran all the way through to the heats on that uh, first uh, on that first morning so whilst a couple of us had some positions that were kind of secure um, you know the, the team itself wasn't calculated until after the after the heat so right up right up until the death uh, people were still fighting for that position I think that was key uh, to such a such a strong team on the night now mate whilst uh, all the other boys in the team had the relay swims in the morning on the first day of competition Ian you had widely regarded as one of the biggest moments in the game's history uh, you went 30, uh, sorry, three minutes, 40.59, broke the world record. You won the 400. So you had the heat swim and the final swim. Two-part question here. Firstly, talk to me about that moment because, as I said, it's a special memory for, for me watching. Obviously, you were, you were there. You did it. Talk to me about that moment for you and, and what it was like. Yeah, look, I'll just reflect on what Fyatt said as well. Um, everyone competing for the positions on in the relay, I didn't swim the, the, the heats of uh, the four by 100 relay to see who's the fastest. Um, the assessment was made, you know, in the times that I was doing kind of leading up um, to it. So it was a lot of trust that was put in me. I didn't know until a couple of days before the relay that I would be swimming it. Um, and it was because of the 400 freestyle that I had to swim, which was the second event on the program. And, you know, I, I, I guess, I swam the race uh, that I wanted to, um, but going into it, I, you know, I had my doubts, you know, I, I uh, hadn't had as comfortable a heat swim as what I thought I would. Um, and, you know, I was nervous um, on that stage. Um, and it wasn't until they announced my name, you know, Ian Thorpe from Australia, um, world record holder and world champion um, in lane four, um, that I, uh, that the crowd cheered and it was such a loud cheer that I did that stupid thing that kids do when you get in trouble, when you don't know what to do, which is like laugh or smile. Um, I kind of smirked. Um, and it was when it was a moment I got out of my head and actually went, I'm actually ready for this. Um, and I decided, you know, that I would lead the race from start to finish, um, a coach had previously told me if you can conserve some energy um, for the next event, um, you should probably do that, um, <laughs> which is the worst thing you can say to an athlete uh, because in your mind, you start going to what's wrong with me. Um, you know, what don't I have? I've done this before. Um, so that was kind of my lead in to, to the relay. Well, secondly, mate, as I mentioned, you know, the boys were primed and ready to go for the final. You'd only just swam your final. So how were you feeling, you know, after you just finished the 400, you had to quickly get ready. I know there's a story behind you not quite being um, behind the blocks. You had, I think you just got there just as they were about to go. How were you feeling mentally and physically, I guess, before that race? Um, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, I had to kind of um, temper my emotions down a little bit after the 400, um, knowing that, you know, when I, I received my, my gold medal, that it would be, and it's my first Olympic gold medal, um, that, uh, you know, really celebrate that occasion was not the right thing to do. I had to um, make sure 
I was thinking of what's coming up next. Um, and next for me was a relay. Mm-hmm. So it was considering how many minutes there were between each point, what I'd be able to do, how I'd swim down, how I'd be able to warm up, how long it took to walk around the pool, how many minutes there were and how much space there was um, to get ready. And then, you know, it, it also turns out that, you know, I didn't factor in um, breaking a swimsuit, which changed all of that. Now, Michael, it's no uh, secret that adding to the hysteria in the moment of you boys winning, uh, which was, I promise I'll get to in a minute because I keep saying we'll get to it, we'll get to it, and then I don't talk about <laughs> it. But I promise we will. But playing a part in that, mate, were the words quoted by one US swimming legend, Gary Hall Jr., in where he said the USA team would smash you guys like guitars. Now, I know there's more to that quote, and uh, I know he did go on to say that the race wouldn't be easy, and, and, you know, and I know you guys have great respect for him, and he came over and you know, shook your hand, congratulated you after it. But, you know, obviously the media grabbed that headline, go figure, and, and they ran with it. So the stage was set. How much did those words help? Motiv- I don't know, you don't need a lot of motivation to swim for your country, but did those words sort of resonate? Obviously we played the air guitar at the end, so they were still there a little bit. Look, I think personally they probably, or even, I mean, you can see our celebration. They certainly played a part in our celebrations at the end of the race, but... Um, I think as far as everyone mentioned so far, we wanted to be on that team so bad. We wanted to, you know, do the best race we possibly could, you know, to represent our country, to, you know, give the Aussie swim team a good start at the meet. And there was enough motivation that we, you know, a a headline wouldn't provide us really, to be honest. And, you know, I think Gary likes to build, you know, drama and, and anticipation and have the eyes watching him when he's swimming. And it probably... You know, it's the only time that, you know, even when he was racing Alex and, you know, going head to head, he used to thrive on that. And probably not sure if it was a strategic thing by him, but, you know, for us, it certainly wasn't, you know, we we didn't hold the paper up, you know, every day and look at it and say, we're going to revenge this. You know, we we had enough sort of things that it was driving us to to get there on the day and, and to do the best we could. So... Um, but I'm glad we did, or uh, thanks to Fides, glad we did the, um, the celebration the way we did and we're still talking about it and we've been labelled with the air guitar. So, um, you know, it has, it has its purpose. Now, Ash, talk to me about your nerves before the mm-hmm. final of that race. I mean, this was a major <laughs> meet for you. You know, you're in the final with the boys. Thorpe had just won the 400. The crowd, you know, the roof was half blown off. I'm going to say half, Thorpe, because obviously when in the final, then it completely came off in the, in the relay. But, you know, firstly, what about marshalling area? What's a marshalling area like? You know, obviously the words from Gary Hall Jr. You're in there. You know, you're coming out to to swim for your country. There's there's a lot of uh, you know big boys in there ready to mm. testosterone's flowing. What is the marshalling area like before it? And then you know, for yourself, what were your nerves like going into that race? Ash, how did you find it? That was a, the first like Olympics four by one freestyle final room. <laughs> yeah. Look, um, thinking back, uh, obviously I was quite nervous, but. I've got to give a lot of thanks to um, my team coach, uh, Gennady Turetsky, who uh, I've mentioned in previous um, podcasts or interviews and things like that, that he likes to talk for me in riddles or philosophies and he <laughs> calms me right down. And so before getting in the pool, uh, sorry, once I was selected to swim into the final and before jumping in uh, for my warm-up preparing for, for that race that evening, 
Um, he pulled me aside and spent a good half an hour with me just talking about anything else other than swimming. And I think that calming influence helped me quite a bit, uh, unknowingly what he was really doing, because obviously the theatre of your home Olympics and knowing that there was 18,000 strong out there um, and you're doing it in front of your home crowd, the last thing you really wanted to do was mess it up. So I went through my normal routine, uh, came out uh, feeling quite good. Obviously, um, the, the team was and the support team were great. And there was a little bit of a buzz after Ian's uh, victory in his 400 as well. So just calmly sitting down. Um, can't remember who I was sitting with at this point in time, but putting on my suit and just thinking about everything that uh, I'd worked towards and what I had to do come uh, my, uh, my, my third leg and my relay. But sitting in the marshalling room was something quite... Uh, different for me because I'd only experienced it at the Com Games and that's nothing compared to this. Um, so, you know, for me, the Yanks are quite boisterous and quite flamboyant and like everyone know to their, their, that they're there. Um, and then what we had, the, I think the Italians on the other side and they, they're quite, for me, they were quite quiet and sticking to themselves. And I just remember looking down and seeing Michael and Fides just doing their own thing just calmly and, um, that was that was massive for me as well, being uh, very inexperienced. And uh, the nerves were building too. I mean, you could hear the crowd out there. Every time something happened, the crowd would go crazy. But um, I think the thing that stuck in my mind is the three of us had walked out and there was no um, Ian. Um, obviously, he'd mentioned some uh, hiccups that he was dealing with before walking out. And just as we were walking out and you, you grab each other's arm and you're about to raise your arm to acknowledge the crowd after they've announced you, um, Thorpe appears out of nowhere and grabs my arm and up we go. So um, for me, the build-up to the race was quite calm because I'm very lucky that we had, I had a great support network around me. Um, but the nerves for me didn't really start to go nuts um, until the pressure was on you knowing that Michael had done a fantastic job in his relay leg and then obviously Fides capitalised on that and then it was my turn and then that's when it really hit hard when Fides was coming back on his second 50. All right, well, Ash has brought me into it, so let's get started. I'll go in, in relay order. Firstly, Michael, world record, 48-1-8. Um, was that on the cards leading into the final? Was it spoken about or is this purely the results of a man who just wanted to give everything he had for his country and he just, you know, went out? Oh, look, I definitely... Definitely didn't think I was going to swim that quick. I had a pretty good uh, trials and swimming 48.5 and went head-to-head with Fides. That was probably one of, one of my best races with, with Chris. And um, I knew that I was obviously around the mark, but, um, you know, I, I was flying in the morning. I came in and, and suited up and did a 50 and um, I felt really fresh. And I was almost like just waiting, <laughs> just bursting out of my skin. So for me, it was always a, a matter of containing my energy and emotional and nervous energy. So, um, and yeah, I was very fortunate, very similar to, to Ash that I had fights in there and then team managers and, you know, knowing that it was almost like it was an air of calmness, even though we knew Thorpe was going through his own uh, dramas with the suit. But, you know, it was almost like we were just lining up, like no matter what, he was going to get there. And, um, and yeah, I, I felt that physically, you know, I, I was probably in the best shape I ever was. I've never swum faster <laughs> since that day. So, um, and it was just one of those things that everything, all the things that I worked on from my start to my breakout, my underwater accelerating into the wall. And those just technical things that 
when you were putting together a 48 second swim, you want every single thing to come off the best you can. And I, I don't think I can fault too many things in that swim. So um, yeah, I, I've, yeah, I've just felt really good about it all. And um, I, I felt like I was really built up to that event, you know, and I, we swam well in a four by two a couple of days later, but I kind of felt like I spent all my bickies in that one 48 second swim. So, but I'm glad I did. So yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, there was certainly a build-up over the last few years in the lead-up to that event. And, um, you know, I, was, I felt that I was kind of, I left it all in the pool. Question to the room. Obviously, you know, watching Klimi go and break a world record. How confidence, obviously you didn't need any more confidence, but obviously you see you go a world record and, and have a great lead leg. Did that build confidence in you guys to follow that off after? You're fired. You're a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually had no idea, obviously, what Michael had done. I knew he was swimming well, so it's probably for the other two boys for, to answer that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, it um, as I said before, it made me more incredibly nervous because I didn't think that we'd actually be in this position and as far out as front as we were. Um, and um, by the time Fires had turned on his return fifty, we. And Neil Walker had pulled up to him, but Fives was well renowned for his last 35, and he really put the pedal down and uh, really pulled away. So um, we were I was semi-confident um, in my in my own ability because you know I had the, the big great Jason Lezak swimming beside me, and we know what he did a few years after as well. But um, I guess the piece of advice that was explained to me was just relax on the first 30 to your first lap. And I probably relaxed a little too much on that Lezak pull me in and then coming, coming or approaching the wall, I had to um, increase my intensity, then hit the wall and really poured it on coming home. So I knew that I had the ability to be able to compete coming home so long as that I, I didn't spend all my gas down the first 15. Um, if you watch myself, Fides and Thorpey race, that's kind of how we went about it. But Thorpey always said he wanted a greater lead. And he probably could have done with that, but he was he was good enough to win off a point two changeover or a point two lead there, and nailed his changeover. And uh, for when I walked behind the blocks and watching him come home, and he was just chewing into Gary Hall's lead, then I knew it was a very real possibility that heck we're in this. Mm. Yeah. Well, Chris, how much do you think that played a part in obviously, you know, we can watch it from just a, a crowd perspective and and watch the way you guys race, watch, you know, um, the way Thorpey clawed the lead back. But obviously, uh, race plan wise, was there a clear sort of focus on the back end and making sure you, you know, you always had a good back end yourself, but making sure you really finished strong and that the Americans maybe weren't as back end dominated. So that was race plan wise, uh, a way you could, you know, get that victory. Yeah, that, that was absolutely race plan. So um, simply, uh, you know, Michael's job was to get us out in front and, and the rest of us uh, was to make sure that we stayed in front uh, from that perspective. Uh, looking at the Americans and the way they swam, they were always much sharper in the way in which they swam that 100 over that first 50. Um, and so our job really was to try and encourage them to, to overswim that first lap just a little bit um, and then play to our strengths in the back end and you know, Michael did a great job of getting out in front. Uh, then my job with, uh, with Neil was to, to encourage him in and, and I managed to, to get that away. Yeah, Ash, to his credit, in a big meet, first really big meet like that, swimming in that event, did an amazing job of, of keeping his head for a young guy. 
um, and, and not swimming his natural kind of 100 freestyle, but actually following the plan. And, and again, uh, you know, the, the reason for the success of this team was not um, necessarily individual performances, although a world record certainly helps to, to kick off the, uh, the first leg. But the fact that all four of us actually delivered against the plan, that we'd agreed and executed it, like Michael said, we could all we all look back on that race, and there was just very few mistakes that were made, and that's key. So, so certainly that strategy of of, uh, of back ending the race was important. The other thing we spent a lot of time on was changeovers and making sure that those changeovers were fast. And and, and as you know, you know a changeover is not you know watching the person touch the wall and then jumping off. It's it's preparing. It's it's watching that person swimming in, knowing when that hand's going to touch, leaving or commencing leaving uh, well before, at least half a second before the person's hand actually touches, um, you know, you're starting to get the, the momentum moving off the blocks. So if ever you see someone touch a wall, you, you're having a terrible kind of changeover. And, and so we, we practice that a lot. Um, you know, and, and, and then, you know, Ian's job really was to get down and back. We knew Ian would have a great um, last 50. Um, we needed to get him, uh, you know, a big enough lead to against Gary to... Um, uh, to, to give him that opportunity. And, um, you know, whilst we thought 2.2 of a second was heaps um, and uh, he, he probably he probably should have, you know, I, th- I think 0.1 would have been enough, to be honest. Um, you know, he, ma- he makes a big, big scene about the fact that we didn't give him enough lead to get home. Well, given that you're a lawyer, let's have- <laughs> um, when you actually finished your race, you said to Lumpy, you said to Michael, do you think we've got enough lead? <laughs> no question. Yeah. So don't put that on me. <laughs> I've got a very valuable lesson. Well played, Bobby. Well played. Um, very good. Um, <laughs> um, I've learned off you as you sit in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> what was your changeover, Thorpe? You were like point one, weren't you, or point one two, or something on the changeover? You were pretty. I was very fast. I was very fast because you guys hadn't given me enough. Money. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, one of the many things that Chris Feidler has actually taught me as he sits in the sun, uh, he also taught me if you uh, can make a shadow, you can get a tan. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a whole cultural thing that you needed to absorb about being a sprinter, mate. You know, it was t- too much time in the water is not good for anyone. Uh, vitamin D can get you something quick too. There it is. So Michael's on top of it as well. Yeah. Now, boys, obviously the race plan wise, you guys executed perfectly the back end, but obviously helping that back end was the fact that the crowd, and as you said, 18,000 or whatever, was just, you know, going off every time you guys were charging down the back end. How much did that play a part? Did you hear it at all? I know obviously we want to know that you heard it and we, you know, even as coaches, sometimes we're going, Oh, go. And we hope that really we're doing nothing other than making ourselves feel better. But did you guys hear it at all or no? Well, for me, obviously watching the, watching the guys swim after I Yo, finished, you heard it all, you know, it was incrementally wasn't getting louder and louder. And, you know, the more the crowd noticed that we're in this race and, I think people started towards the last two legs. I think people were on their feet already. So, um, and then when Thorpe was in, the, in his last sort of 20 meters, you know, people were stomping on the, on the actual stand and it was, the whole thing was vibrating. And I think, uh, I'm not sure if Fides or Thorpe mentioned that the actual bolts had re- removed from the ground a little bit because they hadn't 
they hadn't calculated for people actually jumping up and down only standing in the in, in the in the stand so um there was definitely I, I don't think they ever predicted there'd be such a big crowd with such an amount of noise so it was deafening and in the last sort of 20 meters i could definitely notice it's what's well, something i've never experienced in that pool ever again you know so um it was certainly very loud that's for sure i hope you guys can back me up on that yeah, for, for, <laughs> you, 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 your your experience is an interesting one because you had the the 400 as well um Talk about your stuff. I like I like your explanation of that race. Do you? Um, well, <laughs> yeah, so look, the, the four hundred for me, I, I'd never heard as as large a, a cheer as what it was for me uh, during that during that four hundred or before the four hundred. Um, and so then after it, the crowds obviously, you know, they are energized coming into this race and lead up to what it is. Um, you know, uh, when, when Michael broke the world record in the first lap, you know, the crowd cheered to that, um, you know, as Fides was actually diving into the pool because it came up on the thing and it, the crowd erupted again. Um, and so then, it wasn't just because I dove in. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was like, oh. It was it's mostly about, um, it's about Mike at this time. Um, anyway. um, so it was then, um, you know, the, <laughs> I could say the crowd just, you know, the level just dropped. That's <laughs> <laughs> the race <right> settled. <laughs> it was a consistency um, across everyone, and especially when we turn. And when we turn in front, it, every time it would amplify. Um, it would it would go up, and then when we had a changeover where we were in front, that roar would would really lift. Um, and so, I mean, when it when it came to my my leg, and we were we were in front, um, I, I haven't heard anything like it at any competition anywhere in the world um, where I've swum at or I've seen someone else swim at um, that was like that. Um, and you know, you know, from that point. Um, you know, it, it, it may have helped that there was a closed roof and everything else, and I don't want to detract from what other swimmers have, have achieved, but for some reason, it was as loud as it gets in a swimming race. Well, Ian, while we're still with you, let's, let's go to that finish, and obviously... Uh, I can still hear the commentary now. Maybe it's just because it's all over the opener to my <laughs> podcast. But, uh, you know, it's, it's Thorpe and Hall, Thorpe and Hall. And, you know, Thorpe goes in, Australia win. The roof blows off the joint. Everyone was screaming in their lounges at home. At what point for you, though, in that hundred, did you start to really feel comfortable that, okay, I'm getting him here. This is, you know, this, it's time to put the foot down. Well, there was nothing to put down uh, to start with. Um, I it, I didn't have, um, I guess, the, the, the tools um, that other people may have in the 100 um, to be able to utilise. There was no speed that I could have gone out faster in, but I had confidence in what I could do in the second 50 and not fatiguing. Um, that's about all I had. Um, and... The first time I, I, I knew, because I, I knew um, Gary would, would be ahead of me at the 50. I knew that. Um, I just was in disbelief during the first 50 how quickly um, he had caught up to me because I had a good changeover. Um, his was slower than mine, so I gained a little bit. Um, and 
but you know, it was gone, it evaporated. Um, but I turned at 50, I pushed off the wall and I had a really good term, which I don't usually have in a hundred. Um, I think because the American team and the Australian team was so far ahead, um, I, I missed a lot of the wash that I would have otherwise. Uh, Me and I popped up and I went, okay, um, you know, now we're at it. This is the second 50. And, you know, I think at about 25 meters, I realized I'm starting to get back into the race because that enthusiasm, that cheer from the crowd, that kind of dissipated um, as soon as Gary Hall, you know, went off in front of me. Um, and it was, you know, I felt a silence, which was kind of like a collective sigh um, when, you know, that had happened. And then I could also hear the crowd building um, as I was going through that second 50. Um, it was probably about 15, around 15 metres to go where I realised how much I was gaining. And with about 10 to 8 metres to go, I realised it would come down to a touch. Um, and I reminded myself to lengthen my stroke um, and a very quick, he's a sprinter, it will hurt him more than you, um, was what I told myself. Um, and that was it. That was when I put my head down. Quick one to all the boys just on that. And there's one thing that uh, I, as a coach, marvel at watching you guys in that. And I have rewatched it many, many times, as a lot of people have. But the fact that it was such a major moment, a major event, but you guys were all still so professional enough to, as Thorpe just said, think about, you know, your race plan, think about stretching out, think about these sort of things that even to this day, I'm talking to people on the podcast a lot and, and you know, they're making still those little errors at, at a world championship level at times, depending on the pressure. I think one thing that does get lost at times with your race and what you guys were able to achieve is the professionalism you guys sort of held throughout that. What do you think? Well, I, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, I think the result obviously speaks for itself. This time we, we, I think all of us collectively swam the best races we ever had put together. So, um, and we, as Fyde's mentioned, we had a very, you know, strict plan that we wanted to, um, to fulfill, I guess, from the, from the word get go. And, um, and it's, and it's for us, it's not, you know, you don't know, and all youngest swimmers that are listening, it's, you know, you can have as much willpower and as much aggression as you as you want, but if you if you don't have the skill and the practice and those little minor details, like Fides mentioned, the changeovers and you know just the little things from you know, like Thorpe mentioned, getting under the wave and the 50 meters of the turn, those little things that ultimately add up to a you know three three minutes out of of a relay. So um, for us, we all had those small increments to add up to the the total result. So. Um, you know, as much as so much, and that's a, that's the beauty about, you know, an elite sport that there are so many distractions. There's obviously the crowd, there's other teams, there's, you know, your teammates probably screaming in your ear, but it's ultimately you just come there when you get up on the blocks, you just got this, you know, 40 odd seconds of, of swimming to do. And it's normally the simpler you keep it, um, the, you know, clearer the messaging you have in your head, the normally the better the result. And I think all the boys will vouch for that. I, I, I normally didn't have in a in a monologue like Thorpey did throughout the throughout the races. <laughs> I was I was normally screaming as trying to put the pain away, but um, you know, just having simple cues to get you to the wall. So and you can never forget that. So that is that's definitely the key of having control of yourself in those in the high pressure situations. 
I, I look at the 4x1 and, um, you know, I, I, I did execute what I could do properly. Um, whereas the 400 freestyle that I, I'd done, I see every mistake um, that I made during the race. I was breathing into turns. I was, you know, I, I wasn't doing it as well as I could. Um, but I think for all of us, we're reflecting on this, there probably isn't anything that we could change. Even although Ash said previous, like prior to this, that, you know, maybe he took, you know, his foot off the pedal a little bit too much in the first lap. Um, I disagree with him on that. Um, I actually think it was the right thing for him because we, I knew how he'd then be able to come back in the next 50. Thanks, Ian. Um, I think uh, when it comes to the four by one and what we're talking about, it's the little things that can win and lose. And it's the little things that made the difference on the day. And it comes back to a culture and um, the, the staff and especially the head coach at the time played a massive importance on relays. And one thing you did not want to uh, do is let down your teammates. And so with in saying that you had to execute the little things to make the big difference. And with the culture and the little things that we did right and the skill level that we had to be able to execute under pressure um, made the difference at the end of the day as well. Now, I've said it a few times on Instagram now. Sorry, Ian, did you want to? Yeah, I just want to add to that. Do you know, I think this relay, um, it wasn't just the four of us or the six of us that competed in it. It was a relay that the entire Australian swim team believed that we could actually win. Um, and we knew that going into this. Um, there were some people that don't know swimming that thought the same thing, but the fact that our team thought that this was winnable, um, you know, it added an extra dimension to it, um, you know, an extra amount of pressure, but also an extra kind of backing. You know, the, the weight wasn't on our shoulders. It was pushing us ahead to the result. It's quite funny. We've, we've got a, this 2000 team WhatsApp group and we, we chatted this morning and the amount of people that said that they blew their taper just off cheering for, for, uh, for our relay, um, we felt quite actually quite guilty about ruining people's preparation, but um, they said it was bloody worth it. So um, even I've never seen Dawn jump up and down as much as she did on that night too. So um, it, was, it was, I think it meant a lot to everybody, including ourselves, obviously. I've said it a few times now on Instagram comments and also on the podcast, but this was a race that not only inspired the country at the time, but generations to come. I know I speak to a lot of athletes here on the podcast, even, you know, 16, 17 year olds. And one question I always ask is, you know, what would you like, what do you go back and rewatch? What's your favorite race to rewatch? And they say the four by one. And these are kids who weren't even born at the time. So clearly it made an impact on their parents that they're, you know, it's just a race that, you know, just evokes such emotion. Chris, you know, how proud are you of, of that, of what you guys have achieved, but you know, the profound impact you guys are having on swimming in this country that just continues. It's not just, you know, in 2000, it wasn't even 10 years. It just continues to, to grow. It, it does. It's an interesting one. And, and why that race sticks out, there's probably, you know, a hundred reasons that all came together on that night that people really love, whether it be the first night of the Olympics or a great come from behind story, although it wasn't come from behind until Ian got in. And then, um, and then we, uh, uh, you know, we, we just, uh, an unexpected victory, the first time Americans have been beaten. But ultimately, I think, it, you know, it comes down to those Sydney games just being um, 
so special uh, to Australians and to swimmers. Um, I, I'm all, all, all in awe of uh, the achievements of, you know, Michael and, and Ian particularly, no disrespect, Ash, but for those guys with the backgrounds that they have and what they achieved in our sport to still think that, you know, this relay is, if not their, you know, greatest memory, certainly up in their top couple of memories, uh, to be able to say that I swam with those two guys uh, for that is, is, is really humbling. Um, and as far as the young kids are concerned, listen, it's a great race to watch. And no matter who you are, when you, if you're Australian and watching that race, you can't help but be inspired. We, we love beating uh, strong American teams, and, and, uh, and that was certainly one of those. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably why it, li it lives on. Um, that and the fact that you know, we continually email every single person who ever swims and send them links to it to make sure that they watch <laughs> it every day um, you know, probably, help, probably helps as well. We need a remastered version. I think the VHS is, is, is getting, a, getting a bit of workout. But I just a second fights on that. I just wanted to say, like, I think what young kids can take or even youngsters in swimming can take away from this relay is that, you know, we all kind of grew up in different centres and different cities. We came together, you know, at trials we raced head-to-head -head and, you know, we were fierce competitors. And then... What we obviously in our time between trials and the, the Olympics, we, we, we bonded, we created a, a unit that was, you know, and we didn't know what that unit was until that, that morning of the heats anyway. But, you know, having self-belief, being the underdogs and, you know, with the Americans have amazing history in, in that event and swimming. But, you know, it's, I think they, the youngsters can take away, a, 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 I think the most important thing is that these opportunities don't come very often. And, you know, like you can create a strong relay team with, you know, with like-minded people and people that have, you know, they actually make you better. And that's, I think, what, what happened on, on this night that we actually, together, we became much better swimmers than what we were individually. So um, I think that's, you know, I think that's why everyone enjoys swimming relays and, and swim better than what they have in individual swims. I believe it's more reflective of the time that we were at as well, um, with the Olympics and Australia, in you know preparing for the games and the doubts that we'd be able to deliver an event that we could be proud of uh, on a world stage and i think that has contributed to the legend of what this race is um, for australians i think there's nothing better than an underdog story that comes true um, and that certainly happened um, during this relay swim but i can remember i flew straight well virtually straight after the games um i actually was in the states and i got you know the you're, you're the torpedo um congratulations okay. on beating the american team even americans um were amazed at what we had accomplished um in sydney yeah look, i think the australians love an underdog as ian said and um and i think now that uh you, you, you show this footage to a younger generation coming through um, and it basically shows that uh, anything is possible even if you think it is impossible. So, um, yeah, it's, it's something to be, to be uh, proud of. Well, I put it on the iPad for the swimmers this morning, just so you know, and, uh, and they were all cheering at the end of it. I had about 20 kids at the end watching around the blocks, just a small iPad, but they were all cheering. So it, it still gets the same reaction, not quite as loud as obviously 2000, but there were still definitely cheers going on. Now, boys, I want to finish up with a bit of fun today. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to play a game that I like to call the Sydney 2000 Quick Quiz. Uh, feel free to play along at home uh, if you are listening. Now, these questions are all based around the Sydney 2000 Olympics or pop 
culture around that time. Um, I'll do it really quickly because I know we're running out of time. There's only about five questions, so don't worry. Uh, your names, your buzzers, or your nicknames. You can use your nicknames. Go for gold. Uh, and we'll start with question one. Now, everyone knows Kathy Freeman famously lit the cauldron um, at the opening ceremony. But which two Aussies uh, were also a part of the final stages of the torch relay? Which swimmers, sorry? Which two Aussie swimmers Bumpy. were a part of? Shane Gould and... And Jordan? Uh, and Jordan Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one each, one each. I'll give you half. Uh, question two. Everyone knows who came first and second in the men's 100 freestyle. Uh, but which country got bronze? Ash, Brazil. Brazil. Very good. Yeah, good um, I actually didn't know that myself until I had a quick check of it. Um, I didn't know that either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Eric the Eel became uh, an instant star in 2000 when he swam. No, that's not the question. The question was, who can get closest to the time he swam? Lumpy. Um, I reckon he did a minute 21. Okay. Two minutes. No. Ash, three minutes. Thorpey? I said 156. Thorpey wins. It was 152.72. Oh, wow. God bless him. He was, he was blowing a gale after that race too. God bless him. Um, actually, true story. I had to rescue him at Bondi Beach when there was a photo shoot for Speedo a few days later. He went out. He, he, he'd never been in the surf before. So we, no, we got him in. <laughs> He's now the head coach of Equatorial Guinea for anyone who, who wants to know. I've been trying to track him down for the podcast, but I can't get his number. He's been under a minute now as well. Can yeah, he? a lot of people don't know. Yeah, he did. He went on to, to break the minute and do pretty well. Um, right. All right. Someone Quick. said he went 52 seconds. Is that true or not really? <laughs> I don't know if he got that fast. Um, <laughs> question four. Who sang the song Strawberry Kisses? Ash, Nicky Webster. Yes. <laughs> I intentionally didn't answer that just to see who knew. She had that in his earpods on the way in the marching area. Very earpods right. back then. <laughs> All right. Uh, question number five. Russell Crowe had a movie that was released in 2000. Yeah. Gladiator. Very good. All right. I think we've got a tie at the moment. So this will come down <laughs> to the final I'm question. <laughs> oh, you're keeping score. <laughs> I'm on three. Okay, okay, give, give, give him another lead. It's okay, okay. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Who can name the mascots from the Sydney Olympics? <laughs> and I'll give you a bonus point if you can get the Paralympic one. Oh, God. No, I don't know. Wombat? No, Fatso? <laughs> to the wombat? No, that was in the... No, it was Lizzie. It was a lizard. <laughs> Frillneck lizard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. All right, boys. Now, uh, I want to thank you all very much for coming on and agreeing for this chat. It's a special moment for me. Uh, I cannot tell you how uh, you know, much it means to me to have you guys on the show and obviously the listeners out there and having you guys together. Thank you for being you know, champions of our sport, inspiring not just the country, but as I said, all the swimmers to come. Your contributions to our great sport you know, will just continue to be replayed for many years to come. Hopefully they can start to fix up the, the visual because the, the, you know, the, the, the video is starting to look older too. Let's start the movement. Yeah, digitally remaster, <laughs> fix it up a little bit. But, uh, mate, you're bloody legends. And I just wanted to say thank you very much for coming on Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thanks, Good on you. Awesome. Thank you. See ya. Bye-bye. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you, as always, by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. 
Wow, what a week it has been. I cannot tell you how humbled I've been by the people I've had the pleasure of speaking with this week on the show. Also, a huge thank you to NZ Young Gun Michael Pickett for coming on and to the icons of our sport, Miss Penny Haynes, Madam Butterfly Susie O'Neill and the GOATs, Michael Klim, Ian Thorpe, Ash Callis and Chris Feidler. Listen, I do not know what I've done to be fortunate enough to spend time with you all, but I am beyond grateful for the chat and the experience and hopefully you guys at home listening have loved every minute of it as well because it just doesn't get much better than that. And if you thought we were slowing down here on the podcast, I've got news for you. It is not happening. We have not hit our peak. We have many, many more weeks to come of huge interviews on the show from next week and beyond. Thank you to all the listeners for your continued support and keeping us at number one week after week after week. It blows my mind how far we've come, but it also makes me determined to push the boundaries of how far we can still go. And hey, listen, all you guys are coming on the ride with me and I love you for it. Until next week, guys, stay safe. Have a fun weekend. Be kind to one another. If you get bored, go back on YouTube and relive some of the Sydney 2000 moments. Eric the Eel is always a good one. What a champion he is. Keep smiling, guys, and it's bye for now.